Hey everybody, welcome to the Gen J Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Heffington, and you are listening to the first episode of a brand new show brought to you by your friends at Generation Joshua. As we travel around the country working with young leaders, we meet all sorts of amazing people who are working to change their corner of the world for the better. If you've ever been to one of our iGovern camps, you've probably heard from some of these people. But we thought that it would be awesome if we could sit down for some in-depth conversations and get their stories on the record so that we could share them with the greater GenJ community. This podcast is the culmination of that process, and we hope you love it. These conversations are inspiring and encouraging to us, and we hope they impact you in a similar way. After the show, let us know what you thought of it by emailing info at generationjoshua.org or connecting with us at Generation Joshua on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get into the show where I kick things off by talking with GenJ's executive director, Joel Gruy. Hey everybody, welcome to the Generation Joshua podcast. We're coming at you uh, live while we're recording this from our various homes uh, while GenJ is working remote during the coronavirus lockdown. I am here because what better way to launch a podcast than by talking to our executive director, Joel Gruy. Joel started his life of advocacy in the sixth grade. Uh, He did this by convincing his mother to homeschool him. So uh, pretty good points right away. He went on to work uh, on Capitol Hill for Congressman J.C. Watts, and he now serves as the executive director of Generation Joshua and HSLDA Action. Uh, This is going to be really fun because Joel is also a town councilman in his hometown of Purcellville, Virginia. And today, Joel travels around the U.S. when we're not on lockdown, training and mentoring young leaders. He draws on over 20 years of both ministry and political experience, um, and he has helped train over 30,000 students and deployed over 10,000 volunteers to help conservative candidates get elected to office. These volunteers, uh, some of which are listening to this podcast right now, I'm sure, have reached over 6 million voters in more than 179 different political races. Joel lives in the greater Washington, D.C. area with his wife, Christy, and their three children. They serve in youth and children's ministry with their church uh, in their rather limited free time. So, Joel, it is good to have you. Wow, Daniel, it is great to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. We're uh, we're doing the the voice call and the video call and We've got our audio set up, so I think we're going to have a really good, really good conversation here. It Thanks is our new reality. No, I'm glad to do it. Thank you for setting it up. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, this this is great way to launch into this. This is a new reality. We've been working from home for a few weeks now. A lot of the country has been doing the same. Um, and on top of that, you are not just you know working at a nonprofit and figuring out how to do your normal workload from the house. But you are a town councilman as well. So that's, you know, a different hat to wear than a lot of people wear during this lockdown. It is. It is. It's meant that somehow I need to both be present in my community and uh, being on the dais, although in this case we've moved to virtually, which has created all sorts of interesting um entanglements and snafus. Um, although I was chatting with one of our town staff and they said they're kind of watching what some of the other um, municipalities are working their way through and uh, those have had significantly more challenges than we did. Um, so I, I think so far it's gone rather well, all things considered. That's awesome. Um, what, you know, I, I, maybe you have a crystal ball, but I'm assuming that when you ran for town council, you were not expecting to be on the town council during, you know, the global pandemic that we're facing right now. Is that accurate? Oh, very, very. Um, In my (laughs) mind, I had to deal with water rates, tax rates, um, questions of uh, land use, uh, budgeting questions, all of that. And to be fair, for the last two years, that is largely what I've dealt with. Those are the debates we've had, etc. And yet somehow, um, we're now doing a very different type of uh, town council work, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I guess it's safe to say, you know, don't don't assume that the job description is is the only thing you'll be facing when you when you when you sign up for something like that. Very true. Very true. (laughs) So on that note, kind of, you know, jump to I want to talk about all the things I want to talk about Gen J. I want to talk about ministry a bit, even kind of your story of what got you from wherever you grew up to where you are today. Um, Yeah. But to kind of stay on that track of the town council stuff for a minute, what um, 
in addition to, you know, how to handle a, a pandemic, possibly, <laughs> um, what would you say you know about politics and public service that you didn't know before getting elected? And I, just the context for that, like I just read your bio, you've been around politics for a while. You've been involved in different facets of campaigns and elections. But I'm assuming and, and really curious to hear what you might have learned that even with all that, you didn't know sure. before you actually were sitting in the seat of the elected official. Sure. Um, okay, so there's a few things that I, to be honest, expected and then I got there and went, oh, that's not quite what I thought. Um, so first of all, and this seems like a kind of a stupid truism to say, but honestly, it's true. And it's worth repeating because somehow we know it, but we forget it. People are the same everywhere. Whether they're elected or not, people are people. And they have all of the foibles and flaws and irritations that they normally do. Mm. That also means that the, uh, the, the best of people... Uh, their quality, their integrity, their character, their hard work, uh, their passion to help and serve others also exists both inside and outside of elected service. And so when you get into it and you are working and suddenly you are the government, not just complaining about the government, you <laughs> find people of the highest level of quality and character in the government serving and working. Some of them in elected office, some of them in kind of the staff roles, the bureaucracy, that sort of thing. Well-intentioned, thoughtful, hardworking, diligent people um, that are yeah. good. And then you find ones that aren't, right? Yeah, they yeah. exist in every area. And I, I think the funny thing about working in elected office is that before that, with my experience being primarily political, anytime you're interacting with the candidate, you always kind of have them at their best, right? They're on stage, they're in front of people, they need your help, they want to impress you, and they are, they're gregarious, they're outgoing, they're, um, yeah, they're, they're charming. They're shaking hands. Yeah, they're shaking hands and, and kissing babies, right? Like, that's, sure. that's the game. Um, but that is just, at least in part, a game. Um, it's not that it's not true about them, but no one can hold that all the time. And at a certain point, they get tired, they get run down, they get grumpy, they get snarky. Um, and some of them never really got much of the like smiling, kissing babies, shaking hands, and charming. <laughs> and at least in my head, there was this assumption initially that at a certain point, once you got elected, okay, the election's done, the, the, the bickering that happens in that not ends, but it kind of drops down a little bit because we're no longer competing for visions so with voters e and stuff. Right, and you we're have that all down to work. We're, right. we're going we're to start doing the important stuff. Except that's not true. Okay. Um, it should be. And I have seen it in some people. And, and to the best, to, to, to the town's credit, there's at least several people on council that, that really, truly carry that understanding that there is a place for that sort of debate. And then there's a, okay, we all got elected, which means now we have this odd combination of different perspectives and thoughts, but these are all duly elected members of the council. And now we need to find some sort of crafted path forward that respects the different principles, policies, and lines that these people hold. And they are often contradictory, right? And so now sure. you're looking for some sort of like center road where everybody can go, I don't like everything, but I can vote for that. Or at least a yeah. majority can say, I don't necessarily like all of this, but I can vote for that. And that's a powerful thing to seek for, but it requires everybody wanting to push for it. Because when one or two people don't, and they decide to draw a hard line, Everybody draws a hard line. And then it becomes mm. no longer this idea of some sort of uh, mutually agreeable path forward where no one likes it 100%, but they're like, yeah, we can go forward here. Instead, it becomes, you know, everybody hunkers down and shoots at each other and nothing gets done. And frankly, there's real suffering that happens for the town, the citizens, the community when that's what happens on a council. And local councils are kind of the last bastion of what I would consider nonpartisan or bipartisan work in America. And okay. you see the national tenor um, and vitriol kind of trickle down there, not even in the, not necessarily in the national politics, but in the tone. And that, that part is frankly, what I would consider very sad. So, yeah. So basically if you're, if your town council turns into to Congress, but with, with easier access to each other, it kind of becomes a mess. Yeah. I mean, we have, a, I was talking to one of my council members who I'm a friend with, and I've met some great friends on doing this. I've been privileged to do it. Um, but he was at the store, you know, getting ice cream uh, a month or two ago. And one of the other members of council who tends to be rather snipey um, walked 
in and turned around the corner and looked down the aisle and saw him, and then just turned around and walked away. Didn't get what he was coming for, but he didn't want to get within proximity. And wow. it's really sad because when you're doing that, in a, particularly a council in a small town, remember everything you say, you're going you're gonna to see that person later. It might be a church. Sure. It might be walking down the street. It might be at the grocery store. And somehow you have to have a way to live in the town with that other person that just decided to, that you decided to chew out or decided to, that they decided to rake you over the coals on, on Facebook yeah, yeah. or on Twitter or in person. Um, and somehow you have to coexist. And I think the, the downside to federal politics is that you can live somewhat insulated from the people that you're shooting at. Sure. The, the challenge, the good, the bad of it is for a local town, you got to still see those people. And if you burn them badly, they will be your eternal opponent. And that's bad for everyone. Yeah, you, you don't risk on Twitter. You don't typically risk burning someone and then running into them at like the neighborhood cookout or the barbecue or something. Right, and the, right. The have to, their kids have to go to swim lessons with your kids or something like that. Exactly. Um, and I think some people recognize that fact and came into it knowing that they had to temper themselves and some didn't. And when you walk in with the, it's us versus them, and if you don't agree with me, I will burn you to the ground, that approach goes badly. So let me ask you, mm-hmm. has, how has that dynamic impacted or changed with this coronavirus lockdown? Does that, do, do those entrenched you know, factions uh, lower their weapons to work together, or do they just you know, double down and increase digging around the clock? <laughs> Well, it depends, because not only are we in the middle of the coronavirus, we're in the middle of our town election. So <laughs> there's oh, so that a never strong... Right, tense. our elections are in May, um, which is a real challenge when you're also in a lockdown. And so we're trying to navigate how we do that. Like, I've been... I'm not up for election right now, but half my council is in the Maris. And one of the issues we've been wrestling with is, how do we hold the election in the middle of a stay-at-home order? And yeah. so one of the things that's happened is, since I'm not running, I can stand up and say, hey, I'm not running for office... Um, I'm looking for the safety of my citizens in town, and I'm also trying to balance that with not extending someone's term in office beyond what the voters put them in for. And so sure. we've tried to navigate when the election's going to be. And, and thankfully, at least on some of this, we've managed to find some common ground. But there's this real quick twitch of the hands to go to, the, to, to, to quick draw, as it were. Um, and what it means is that the council does not trust each other. And that's a tragedy, because there were attempts to build that within our council and they were not universally received. And unfortunately, without everyone saying, I'm going to try and find a way to trust each other and have some professional courtesy, no one will have that. And then sure. it becomes a power play. I think Corona's sense. helped in some areas, and in other areas, it's had no effect. It's just been the same old. Okay. How? What kind of, you know, we talked a little bit at the beginning, but what kind of decisions have come down that, you know, you, you, before you're talking about tax rates and water bills, now sure. you're talking about, you know, whatever it is, testing, pandemic, mm-hmm, moving mm-hmm, the elections, mm-hmm. you know, other than that. So tell us a little more about what decisions have landed on your plate that you weren't expecting at the, when you first signed up for this. Well, I never thought I would actually try and move the election. <laughs> and yeah, that, that, the that election date, you, that's kind of a thing where you're like, well, this is the date and it's what it is. And that's actually not quite true. With a bit of work, um, it can be moved. Uh, and so we're doing that right now. We actually have a petition with the Supreme Court of the state to say we need to move the election by 16 days to try and get it to a safer point in time, uh, which we can do to a point if the, gov- if the Supreme Court's willing to grant that request. We are the only ones who can ask it, and they are the only ones who can grant it. That well, was that predicated like- by the governor doing something in advance to trigger our ability to do the other thing. So it's this, all these weird moving pieces that I'd never heard of and have had to become a rapid expert in obscure aspects of emergency powers meets election law. <laughs> that's uh, that's an interesting viewpoint of checks and balances and process, though. That's, that's really interesting. We're trying to balance, to, to actually, no, not balance. We are trying to preserve um, the safety of the citizens and their voice in the government Sure. without suddenly extending someone's term in office. Yep. Um, and I, I think in a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, becoming an unelected leader where you just are in and there's no there's no control on that yeah is yep. ex- extremely dangerous 
Yeah. So the goal is to how is to say, okay, how do we balance the safety of our citizens and that? And since we can't control making it, for example, all absentee voting, we have to say, okay, what well, can we move the date? Well, our election is in May. The new office starts in July. Okay, I've got a two-month window. And so we're trying to slide it. Now, the laws in Virginia only sli- let me slide it by up to a month. So if all the pieces align, we can get it into June, which is a lot safer than the beginning of May. Sure. Um, right now, we were able to delay it by two weeks. We're trying to delay it by basically another two. And we'll see what the Supreme Court says. The petition is being delivered in a couple hours to the state Supreme Court right now. Wow. So we'll, we'll see how uh, that goes. Maybe, maybe we'll have to do a follow-up episode. That could be fun. Like, p- plug, uh, the, plug the uh, how did elections go down in Purcellville, Virginia. <laughs> well, I don't know <laughs> if that works on a national level, but it's at least an interesting dynamic. And that was something I never thought I'd have to deal with. The other things that I thought were never on my plate to consider coming into this was emergency powers. Emergency power acts for a town are basically the equivalent for the presidential war powers. Like, it's not like you're going to war, but it's this, in an emergency, what sudden powers become available? And most nations and most municipalities have that in some form, but many times they're very old and they only get updated in an emergency. So we cracked open the books and we're like, well, this was written for a fire or a flood. It is not written for an ongoing pandemic. It's written for a disaster that happens and is gone. And then you're doing recovery ops. Um, sure. Yeah. This is it's like it was never considered for uh, an emergency with the last for I mean, maybe for days, but le- sure. never for months or right. a year. Right. Right. So once, we had once to the, once the fire has burned down everything in town, then it's rebuilding. Right. Right. But we're not doing that now. We're like we're trying to endure through an invisible enemy. And yeah. so we're like, what powers can be done? Like, like, what are the controls that can be released? And what is the transparency we need to preserve? And so we had to pass a, a basically an emergency powers ordinance. And that took us several weeks to get through. And there was lots of debate back and forth, because in the middle of a crisis with pressure to act, you are deciding how much power you are, or independent authority you're willing to give to an unelected person, in this case, our town manager, to act in a crisis. Right. And You've got, how much you, you, you're not. You, you've got the same questions as, as we see in Star Wars with the emergency powers for, for mm-hmm. Palpatine. You've got, you've it got would that be same. astounding how many times I've had Star Wars references running through my head on the dais, and I can't say the line, so this <laughs> is how liberty dies, to thunderous right. applause. But it's in the back of my I head. Love it. And I love it. I'm, I, I, I've made it a running joke where I've tried to work Star Wars references, Princess Bride, and a few other things into my council comments, and so far no one's managed to catch on, but I've gotten about 18 of them in. It's been great fun. That's fantastic. Um, and they've, they've been perfectly relevant, which is what makes it work, right? So okay. there's been that. Can, any, so that's can, been really anyone, can anyone live stream that? Can anyone yeah, tune yeah, in yeah. to you the can turn meetings? in. You can tune in if you want to see it. It's kind of boring, okay. to be honest, so, usually. But um, every uh, once in a while, uh, it's really funny. Gen J Nation, you guys can tune in to Joel's council meetings and track <laughs> how many quotes he's, he's inserting. Star Wars uh, we do two a month. It's on Tuesday nights. It's the second right. and fourth. There you <laughs> hey, go. You know, it'll it'll make our live stream numbers go way up. It'll just be coming from the town, and that's okay. There's not much going on on tuesday nights these hey, days yeah so it's a you new know. show you can yeah you can it's a new show <laughs> <laughs> yeah that'll be very that's, interesting so there's that amazing. the other thing actually and daniel this might be something that's from a policy perspective a little more applicable the question we had to decide was how do we save our small businesses and that's been really hard because the governor essentially closed all of them um, with the stay-at-home order, and that's something I think we're all familiar with, right? Um, yeah. All across the country, everyone's kind of locked down all the all everything but the most essential services. Yeah. So, Though for for some of the people listening, Virginia actually has one of the stronger lockdown situations. Like that's you know, true. The, that's true. So yeah, so so when Joel mentions this, we're we're talking about we kind of have I think the so far the longest lockdown deadline of any state. I think so. I think so. California might be trying to beat us, but yeah. I don't want to be um, in that competition. So what, yeah, what does that look like for business? What does that look so like for, for us? Businesses? That means that basically every business is closed if it has more than 10 people inside. Um, it can't have more than 10. So for HSLDA and Generation Joshua, everybody's working remote. There are, I think, eight people in the building, and the building normally holds like 95. Um, so it's much, much, much smaller. It means that a sit-down restaurant doesn't function unless it can do takeout or, or basically a delivery. Um, so a lot of those closed, uh, any community events, community centers, uh, uh, public events of any kind, um, all of those are shut down. Uh, if it's shopping, it's basically shut down. If it's basically anything other than food, gas, and essential medical, um, you know, household supplies, somehow Lowe's and, and Home Depot have survived all of it. But otherwise, like those, those are all basically everything is locked. Yeah. And they're working remote. Now, for a lot of the white-collar professional stuff, they can do that to a point. It's not great. It's not convenient, but it can be done. 
Sure. But like we, our dentists are opening, I think today, our veterinarians are opening today, but they've been closed for, I think almost seven weeks, six weeks. Yeah. Um, elective medical procedures just came back online. Praise the Lord. My son needs allergy shots. Um, and it's making this really hard, not unlivable, but hard. Um, sure. And so those are things that come into play. But for a lot of the small businesses, and this is where it gets complicated, the big businesses, there's the PPP loans, there's ways to do uh, economic sustainability in the middle of this. They have emergency savings reserves, et cetera, designed to you know fund a quarter of their years of operations without revenue, which, praise the Lord, they have, and they're not going to have when it's all done. Right. But, <laughs> At least for the small businesses, often they run on a much tighter cash flow cycle. So they don't have that money. Um, the ones that are closed, closed, I, there's very limited ability to, to help. Although our county's been doing some stuff there, and that's good. Um, for the town, particularly for the businesses that normally eat in, and suddenly everyone's trying to do takeout, and takeout's more expensive, and it's harder to do, and how do you take these high-end meals and make them something that you can carry out in a box? Yep. Uh, that's been a real challenge. And then how do we as a town help the businesses and keep them existent because we need them um, to keep our economy running when this yeah. reopens. Because, Have I mean, we seen... can get money from the emergency stuff, right, from the government or the state and the federal stuff, but that money is also people's money. It's taxpayers' money. And at a certain yep. point, if the taxpayers aren't making any money, the government doesn't have any money. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's the thought. cycle. It's um, a cycle, ha right. Have you seen the meme floating around that's basically uh, before the lockdown, you know, eating out and getting coffee and getting, you know, donuts and stuff was just kind of frivolous and irresponsible. But now you can do the same stuff and basically consider yourself a hometown hero because you're oh, supporting I know. I all the businesses. Oh, I know. It's great. It's great. <laughs> you know, so what did we do? A month ago, it was I need to crack down on this for my spending of all my budgets. And now it's like, you know, I feel pretty good giving some money to that coffee shop right now. Oh, yeah. No, like I am like, where's my cape and get my halo? Right. Like, I exactly. have done amazingly good things for the town and I should like it's post like, it on my bumper sticker. It's like, in fact, I buy local. Yeah, I got in, coffee today and that was a huge luxury and an amazing thing for the economy. In fact, I think I deserve another one. <laughs> oh, yes, I do. Ooh, I'll take that. Do they have those donuts in dozen? Pa oh, thank you. All yeah. too. Right. Okay. And, and you are the hero bringing it back. You just can't share it with anyone. So you have to eat it all yourself. Oh, bummer. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so so what we did to try and to try and mitigate that is we said we can't fix everything, right? I mean, we're a small town, um, we have a limited amount of money, but we were able to take some of it and say, okay, how do we stimulate our local businesses? And and one of the options on the table, which a lot of countries and states and and counties have done, is they basically say, here's the money, everybody apply for it, and then they start deciding by lottery or by some sort of metric who gets the essentially stimulus or emergency money, right? That's kind of similar to the national response right, right the, now. The PPP right? loans and some yeah. of the other stuff, yeah. right? Okay. We looked at that and said, frankly, we can't process it fast enough, and I'm not sure how we pick who wins and loses. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I don't think I like the government picking who wins and loses in this. I mean, granted, right. everyone's losing because it's corona, right? But... Yeah, we, it gets a little sticky. It gets really sticky, but we're like, okay, how can we help? What can we do? And understanding from the get-go that this is an imperfect situation, not everyone will be helped. It will not get every. It will not help everyone the way we want it to, but we can help some. And how can we do that in a way that is as equitable as we can design? Understanding there are huge limits. So, for example, in the town, we don't even have a complete list of who lives in the town. For reasons, that's not a thing that towns hold. Okay. Counties do because they do the taxes, but our taxes get processed by the county and then sent over to us in a giant check. We don't actually have a list of every single person who lives at every single address. Which don't. Oh, interesting. So and that's managed to make. We had the closest we have is basically a utility bill for most addresses, and okay, so we can sure. get to it that way. But we don't know how many people live at that place for one. Yep. And two, some people, the, you know, the multifamily units, the apartments, etc., they don't have a utility bill individually. They have one big one. Yep. And so we had to figure out that we have a college, some other stuff here in the town that has that effect going. So. With some clever work by some really dedicated staff, uh, we decided to create essentially a voucher program, and it's run as essentially a tax credit in a sense. But what we do is we say, here's taxpayers' money that people that live here in town have paid. And then we say, we're going to give a bunch of it back to you. Um, a bunch being, you know, everybody gets a cup, uh, like a handful of basically $10 voucher coupons. And any business that wants to accept them can. The business can accept those and then turn them into the town and the town reimburses them the money for it. And so the, but wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you so, have basically, you basically have Percival bucks. Yeah. Basically, that's basically what we did. And that's, what, that's the idea behind it was that instead of giving it directly to the businesses and not having enough to go around and having to decide as a government which ones win and lose, because I really don't like being in that position. I don't sure. think that's wise. We said, who is the best suited person to say, how do they, where do they spend their money? Well, how about the people that gave us the money in the first place? Let's give it back to the people who already paid the taxes. And yeah. so we set it up and we gave the people their money back and said, hey, here is, you know, 20 bucks, whatever it is, of 
your tax money back. And our only request is that you spend it at any one of the businesses in town that's willing to accept the money. Okay. So what is the benefit? Normally, they pay the taxes. The taxes are in. They don't get anything more out of it. But we're, yep. we're taking it and we're basically looping it through the system again. And each – we're doing it by residence because that's what we have a list of. Sure. Each residence gets a handful of these. And they can spend it. And they choose what businesses get it. And if they don't want to spend it right now and they want to wait till the economy reopens and uses it for a business that's closed, the business, the, the, the voucher is good until I think the end of the calendar year. So oh, cool. it allows the people to control where the money goes rather than having the government pick winners and losers, which I think is a really good application of some conservative principles into this. Now, it's not perfect. I understand. Yeah, that. I really do. Sure. There's, there's all sorts of problems with this. And frankly, Corona has made this challenging to principles and how do you help people in ways that we've never really had to wrestle through before. But sure. I thought this was a chance to take some ideas of you as the individual are better suited to know how to spend your money than the government. And at I the same time, help our local businesses and community in doing so. Yeah, I like those ideas. Um, question on that, just just mm-hmm. random uh, sure. specification question. Does that work for like service businesses or like, you know, the kid who mows your grass? Or is that only for like the brick and mortar businesses? Any business that wishes to tell the town that I am a business and I would like to accept those can do it. It'll work for okay. home businesses. It'll work for sole proprietorships. It'll work for professional services. It'll work for any business that's willing to honor the voucher and provide their W-2 to the town so we can make sure we okay. pay them, right? Cool. So there's a website. People can go and like sign up for it. Now, the thing is that the business has to be in the town, right? Sure. It's not yeah, that yeah. the company does business in the town. It's the business right. has to reside in the town. Right. It's, yeah, it has to be the, the hometown businesses. Right, hometown businesses. But, for example, if Chick-fil-A wanted to do it, they have a shop here in town. They have a store. Yep. They can apply for it. Now, the problem is, at least for some of the chains, working a voucher like that into their coupon system can be really hard. And we get sure. that. Of but course. for those, they have usually have other resources to help them as well. But if yep. they want to take advantage of it, they can. Yeah. Um, no, that's but, really cool. Yeah. So again, it, it was all dependent on the business choosing to accept it. There's a voluntary action there. It's not obligatory. And the people yep. choose to spend it or not. It's voluntary as well. If they don't spend it, they don't spend it. That's All of it revolves around the freedom of the individual to act going forward and the freedom of the business to accept it. None of it's being shoved. But the end result is a benefit to everyone. I love you it. get more coffee and donuts or whatever it is for takeout and the business is getting, getting assistance. And that money eventually ends up coming, you know... Uh, it's taxpayers' money helping, sure. uh, helping the taxpayer again. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really neat. Um, on that, on that kind of, you know, you're talking about freedom. You're talking about applying the principles that, you know, trying to be consistent with the principles that you've believed and taught and all this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, what is your take on on all the stuff that's swirling around right now? Where, you know, what basically what I'm asking is why is it so hard? to find reliable information or what you might be able to call truth in the middle of this pandemic, because you're talking about wrestling through the principles on the, on the, you know, how do you get some relief money to your towns Mm -hmm. without just Mm -hmm. doing like complete bailouts or something. Right. Um, Right. But what about like, you know, all this other stuff that's being thrown around liberty and, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, first Mm -hmm. amendment rights and, and how that conflates with, you know, public safety and all this kind of stuff, you know, what's your take on that? You know, do you have the secret, uh, the secret, town council website where we can all go to get the real updates that everyone else has been, you know, not distributing or something? (laughs) Well, you can always look at my town council Facebook page and you'll (laughs) at least get information on what COVID is doing in our county. Uh, At least to a point, the reporting system actually changed today. And so I'm having trouble getting some of the data I did. Um, No, but I've actually been following along on your updates and I've seen a lot of people sharing those. That's been pretty cool. I was amazed at how incredibly popular that became. It was... I started uh, weeks ago when this started. I decided that I wanted to track the numbers. Yeah. And I was trying to get local numbers. That was really hard. And I slowly built over time more and more data points. And so I have a section on Loudoun County where we live because I can't get it down to Percival. I have a section on our state. I have a section on our nation. I have a section on the world. Um, yep. Kind of an expanding scope upward. And I've got people following it from all over, like outside of the state even. And but, you know, all I do is present the numbers. And that's why it works. That's That's why why it works. works. Because that's the thing I've noticed that that Mm -hmm. everyone, the reason people are liking it and sharing it is they're not sorting through your 15 minutes or 15 paragraphs of, you know, commentary and and calling They get three sentences of what I call my top line at the beginning. Sure. This is my my takeaways or my my complaint. There's usually a complaint every couple days in there where someone is doing something kind of You've got to have your personality shine through. Sure, You've got to have something shine through. Yeah, yeah. And, And it's just a, okay, this decision was made. I think it's bad. Or this information is not being provided, it should be. 
um, or the governor did something that I think is is moving beyond necessary for public health and safety and is moving toward political advantage. And I'm calling him on that as saying that's not OK. Sure. But those are pretty rare, all things considered. Um, so instead, I just say, here's what we got. I mean, I think my, I put my mind up today earlier, and what we saw was a, a significant drop in hospitalizations in the state today. That's great. That's what it is. So awesome. we put those up on a daily basis. I think that's helped, and it took me weeks, really, to go find safe ways to get all of not safe, accurate ways sure. to get all that data. And so my goal was to provide that data in a format that tries to give people clear, reliable input, uh, not input, but basically accessibility to it. So yep. I have, here are the total number of confirmed cases, okay? Here's the total number of hospitalizations. Here's the total test results, or at least they were until today. They're no longer reporting those. Go figure. Here's the oh, death count for the county. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that. I got to figure that one out. And then, then even, you know, they, they talked about this a couple weeks ago, how they went from counting just the confirmed cases to the probable cases as well, if you remember yeah. that was in the news. Well, and a bunch of people are like, no, that's not okay, that's, that's bad. Well, at least in Virginia, they're presenting both pieces of information. They have the confirmed cases, and then they tell you how many of those cases are presumed. Yeah. And so I present both. There are, that we have, you know, 16,000, almost 17,000 confirmed cases in Virginia. Of that, about 800 of those are probable. We have not managed to actually run the test on them. Okay. okay. And so sure. you can see how much of a how much wiggle room there is. Because otherwise yeah. you look at it and say, they're counting all the presumed. Well, that could be thousands. Well, right, right, no, right. the presumed is eight is seven hundred and ninety-two. Yeah, you're, okay, you're, you're narrowing the window. You're narrowing right, the window right, of variability. Right, right. And so people go, okay, I at least have sixteen thousand. I might have seventeen thousand, but I yeah. know I have more than ten thousand, I have less than twenty. And you scale it and people go, it's just the facts. Yeah. And yeah. they can go, I can trust that, I can believe that. Um, and the other thing I do is I, pre I present it every day and it's in the same format. So you, if you're tracking one particular thing, like how many people are in the ICU, cause you're worried about overload for the ICUs, you can just right. run down and say, there are 366 people in the ICU right now in Virginia uh, that yeah. are in pending or confirmed. Great. Okay. And that went down by six over the last 24 hours. So people were being let out of the ICU. That's great. Okay. That's really, yeah, that's really good. And so that's been, that's been a thing, but it, it took me about a week or so to get to where I thought I had comfortable sources of information. And there's a lot of information out there. I picked a few that I thought had good reputations um, that were reliable and tended to be what I would consider conservative, not philosophically or politically, but just in the, we're only giving you the numbers that we know and we're not, right. there's no inflation happening in it. Or if yeah. there's inflation, like the probables, they're noting it. So we know that. Sure. And that means it's like, we think it's this, but we're telling you, this is what we know, and this is what we think. And the more places to do that, I think the better we are. Um, yeah. I think the John Hopkins website uh, has done a really good job in presenting that sort of data. They've got this big dashboard that looks like some kind of sci-fi thing, but it's got great data and metrics on it. Um, nice. The uh, Virginia Department of Health, um, the US CDC, um, the, Virgi the Virginia Department of Health is... Hit or miss. <laughs> some days it's really good. Some days it's less so. The new change, okay. I'm not liking as much. And then several of the hospital associations have provided some really good content that we can go to that's just basically tracking, you know, here's how many beds we have available in our system. Here's how many ventilators there are. Here's what the discharge numbers are. People that came in that were sick that we've sent home and said, you are no longer sick enough to require being in the hospital anymore. That number's, you know, 2, 000, over 2,000 for Virginia. That's really good. And then yeah. it tells you how many people are in the hospital. And so you can get different blocks of data from different places, and that's helpful. And then I've tried to basically keep it to a tight limit. And if I don't have that data, I'll either say it's not available or I'll go find a, what I would consider an authentic, reliable source. But it is a judgment call. Um, now, so on yeah. that note, because, you know, I, I, I love that. And I think that that's one of the reasons I've seen a lot of people interacting with that stuff really well. Um, mm -hmm. But, but you know, we're, we're in a weird situation where sometimes people are even fighting on, you know, they're, they're not even agreeing on what are the basic facts. Correct. You know, that, Correct. That's, the, that's the weird thing. It's like, you know, and I think I, I love what you're talking about, verify, basically verifying the sources using, I think you didn't, you didn't explicitly say this, but I think it's implied because you're going to several sources. And uh, yeah, I use, I use three or four, a, and I have a redundancy system that basically right. cross-checks one of them. And to be yeah. fair, and I, this is in my system, if you look at it, there are a couple data points that disagree. And I've been reporting yep. them consistently as something that disagrees. And the reason yep. I do that is because I'm showing you what I hope is two, what I consider reliable sources that have variance. And that gives you a kind of a scope and range of what this could or could not be. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's just an interesting tension to live with, which I think, 
I don't think it's necessarily a bad tension, but I think that it's it requires us to be to be more engaged and and you know mm-hmm. maybe yeah. Uh, use our analyzing muscles a little harder than we might normally. Um, Because, I mean, you know, if you think about history in the Revolutionary War and any major thing, you know, we we have more data and more ability to disseminate information than kind of ever before in history. And we still can't and we still can't agree on what's happening. But, you know, if you you think about, you know, when 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 uh, when the British were coming, well, were they coming? You know, what was your source for that? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's yes. like there, yes. there's, you know, you had to go on a horse. You didn't, you didn't get to tweet it out or, you know, share nope. it to your Facebook page. Nope. Nope. So I think in, in a case, you know, I was talking with somebody about this the other day, there's always a responsibility on the part of active citizens mm-hmm. to, to go find the best you can, but then also to, to, to have a, a healthy dose of, um, I guess humility and humility and po- is incredibly important. Yes. And, and possibly not skepticism in the, in the, in the sense that you're looking for a conspiracy under every rock. I don't think that's mm-hmm. useful, no. but, but maybe skepticism in the sense of everything's fallible and, and every, every source is not golden. Well, it's you know? humility. It's yeah. this idea of understanding that this is the, what, this is the best I can find. And if you find me something better, we'll use the better. And, mm-hmm. That's that's a good thing. It's it's a hard thing, but it's a good thing. Um, I, I think one of the challenges, the other the other challenge I think that's come out of this is that the way data is tracked has a huge impact yeah. on the the public decision making process. And so, for yeah. example, are we worried about how many cases we've ever had since February, or are we worried about how many cases we have right now? Those numbers are very different. Sure. Is there a way to find out how many numbers we have right now? Well, no. Why? Because we can't test everyone again. There's not enough tests. Okay, fine. So then we say, do we track how many people are hospitalized right now and how many people were and how many people are not anymore? And, and all of those things are, are important aspects uh, to figuring this out. But it is hard. It really yep. is. Yep. Anyway. Well, Joel... I, I, this has been amazing. I just have a couple more questions for you. Sure. If you have a couple more minutes before we I wrap have, up. I've got about 15 minutes and then I've got Perfect. to go. Perfect. Well, I think that'll, that'll land us perfectly then. This has been a great conversation. Um, a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for making the time in, in your, in your schedule. We, you know, we, we spent the past however long, uh, making it clear that you have a pretty busy schedule right now. <laughs> <laughs> and we've just demonstrated that thoroughly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just a couple questions, kind of stepping back a little bit from the from mm-hmm. the specifics of, you know, coronavirus and lockdown. Um, sure. What, you know, other other than run far, far, far away and stay out of it, which I don't know if you ever get that that uh, reflex response. But, you know, Some for, days, a Gen-J, yes. for a Gen J kid or somebody who's listening to this podcast and, and considering, you know, maybe I should run for office someday mm-hmm. you know, on mm-hmm. the local level or even bigger. What's mm-hmm. your, what's your advice or what's your perspective to that? A couple things. Um, first, it is going to take more time than you think it will. Take whatever estimate any rational person gives you, triple it, and you're getting closer. Um, I remember when I was first looking at it, I said, yeah, it's a part-time job. Like, and I mean, honestly, I get paid like a couple hundred dollars a month for this. It is nowhere, like my hourly rate is disgustingly small. So, so you're um, not like some filthy rich career <laughs> politician? No, no. They had a list of what all the electeds and important high paying people got made recently. Um, and so they had all the electeds and then all the really expensive people. And some of them were making you know, 200 grand in our county. And yeah. then it was me sitting down at the bottom at like $5,000 a year. Yeah. And I'm like, hi, I think I'm so, fine. And everyone's like, oh, because so they were all like ragging on everybody on the list. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. I don't think I'm making that much. And everyone's like, wait, who are... And they're like, oh, I'm so yeah. sorry. Especially <laughs> for the area nothing. we live in. That's like, you know, some people oh, are yeah. like, that, that's my, you know, that, that, that's, my, that's my coffee money. Coffee budget? Like not, not for, not for <laughs> yeah. the people I hang out with, but, you know, yeah, for, yeah, no, for I, some of the people in our area. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's that. So just understand the time commitment is really high um, when you do that. Uh, to do it well, you can do it with a lower time commitment. But frankly, if you're, going to, if you're genuinely dedicated in trying to serve um, people, um, you will need more time than that because people, there's an astounding number of people who need good information and good response and they need it quickly and they need it well and they need it, uh, they need patience. Um, so developing patience and dealing with people, staff people, people who come from different perspectives, different backgrounds, they have assumptions, you have to disarm those assumptions as you have to get to honest conversations. Like it takes way more time than you think. And there'll be some people who will never be disarmable 
who will never be uh, wanting to sit down and have coffee with you. I've got people that politically don't like me, and I've said, hey, you want to sit down and have an honest conversation? Let's have coffee. I will pay for the coffee. Find a time and place, and I will do it. And I've sent emails saying, hey, let's talk. And did they get back to you? No. Did they snipe at you? Yes. They keep arguing at you. They keep yelling at you. They keep Hmm. bickering at you. And there's just, there is no way around it. So develop patience. Develop a pretty thick skin. The ability to kind of smile and move on. Um, Because there's some stuff that you, you, there's kind of a natural tendency for people in politics to be people pleasers. You want people to be happy and to like you. And and in a sense, if if enough people don't like you, they won't reelect you. Right. And so there's a, there's a tension to saying that you want to be there, but that you also understand there's going to be a certain aspect or a certain group that you will never be able to reach. Yep. Um, so there's that. I, I will say someone that I politically disagree with that I probably have, actually there's a couple people. I have one person on council that I politically disagree with that we get along really well together and work well together. And he's been the example of how you build bridges, even for people that are politically on the opposite side. He's as far to the left as I am to the right. And that's been really cool. Um, then there's other people who don't agree with me and, and maybe and would rather I not be there and, and attack me even though they disagree with me when they disagree with me. But even they will look at their friends and say, the one thing I can say about Joel is you always know where he stands. And he'll say it. Uh, he'll, be, he'll be straightforward about it. He's not going to say one thing and do another. And, so, you're not, so you're not two-faced and you're consistent. Right. Yeah, and I'm like, you know what? If that's what my enemies say about me, my not real enemies, but you know, political people who disagree with me, as it were, sure, opponents. I think I think that's a that's an honorable thing to be. Yeah, it's you're not you're not you're not playing fast and loose. So I, I think you develop patience. You get a thick skin. Um, I would also suggest that you carry yourself with grace and compassion. You will get it wrong. I have made votes that were wrong. I have just because I didn't know all the data or I didn't understand what we were doing. Um, I've, you make mistakes, you say the wrong thing, you, you, you botch it on delivery and you're like, that came out of my mouth. And if I could take that back <laughs> and say it a different way, I would love to do that, but I can't. So you apologize. Sure. Um, you make mistakes and there's lots and lots and lots of rules. Um, and you have to be able to act without being utterly terrified and bound, uh, and, and, and so tightly wrapped up in them that you can't act. Right. Um, but at the same time, you have to be respectful and honorable them because those rules are there for good reasons. And some of them yeah. are arbitrary, but many of them have principles underneath them and understanding, identifying those principles and standing there. Uh, on that note, if you want to run for office, be able to stand on your principles and fight for them, but learn how to fight for them with a smile. Hmm. I think that is a crucial aspect because there's plenty of people who will fight. Our country's loaded with them and the world is loaded with people who will fight. Rarely do they fight with a smile. And and what I mean by that is this idea of having an argument where you're like, this is what I believe. This is why I believe it. These are the principles. And I want you to believe these principles too. And I'm inviting you to see how these principles get to this place. Right. So we're not not talking a cackling, uh, sarcastic, wicked smile. We're talking like a a good faith. It's winsome. It's this idea. It's almost almost Reagan's like, it's charm, but not in a manipulative way. It's this like. Not flattery, but. Not flattery. No, it's just a, folks. I believe these things. I believe that people spend their money better than the government does. I believe that people are better to be free than unfree. I believe that it is important to have limits on power. I believe that process matters because process is one of the ways that we try and preserve justice in our country. Yeah. And, it, and I believe that people, since they should, it's better to be free than not, anything you're asking me to do that would take away their freedom or limit them, I'm going to look at it very cynically. And I have to because the, if I do it to this person, I can just as easily do it to you. Sure. And you may not like the decision, but you would never, ever want to be run over like you're asking me to run over that person. And then people go, all right. So if I want my freedom, I have to be willing to give it to them. Right. Yep. And, and, then, and then it's hard to argue with that, right? Yeah. Um, and it's and also most people, hard to apply that consistently because sometimes no we get kidding. these little pet ideas that we're like, oh, this works really well for this profile and situation. But I don't want that same mm-hmm. lens used on my situation, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> right. I was. I took it as a badge of honor a few, a few about a year ago when one of my uh, staff that I work with said, "Joel, of all the council members I've worked with, I think you're the only person without a vanity project." And I'm like, "Oh, great! <laughs> that was my goal." Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I don't know if I get it all the time, but that was my goal. Awesome. <laughs> so, I don't um, know. Is that helpful? Yeah, that's a great answer. I think that's awesome. So, um, yeah, there's, there's. Obviously, a lot, a lot to jump into, but those are some really good thoughts for anybody considering that in the future. And, and you can develop um, those right where you are right now. Those are not things you have to wait till you're running to figure yeah. out. You better have them figured out beforehand, what, and it takes years to develop those sometimes. And what, what struck out to me while you were going through that list is none of them 
none of those things you mentioned, well, and I know there's things that you would add to that, but none of those things you mentioned were strictly political or even strictly like they weren't, they definitely weren't technical from like, you know, you're not saying go read, go read this manual or go do this, whatever. It's like, here's how you relate as a human being with character and integrity and, you know, now I will say this to influence people. If you want to run for office, the one thing you could go read a manual on is parliamentary procedure. Okay. Because it is essentially the Swiss Army tool of anyone in elected office, and it's how you do stuff. And okay, so, so everybody gets it, everybody uses it, and everyone uses it. With it. And if you don't, it is easy to run over the top of you. And I admit, when I first came on council, I discovered that I was one of the few people who was, I would argue, more competent than others in using it. Okay. Um, and that created some moments of consternation where at one point we were trying to do something. And I'm like, oh, fine. And I just made a motion and started doing stuff on the fly. And everyone was looking at me like, I have no idea what he's doing. And can then, he and do I'm that? Like, yeah, can he do that? And I'm like, this is your basic toolkit for being on, being on government. This is how you, this, it's kind of your like, I have a driver's license. If you're going to be yeah. on elected and elected, you need to understand your process. But honestly, that's a small margin. That's the one thing you can learn that's really helpful. And it's great. Don't get me wrong. And I've had a lot of fun with it some days because every once in a while someone doesn't know how to, how to do something. And I, 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 even, even my enemies occasionally look at me to say, okay, how do I make this happen? And then I help sure. them with a, with, a, with a motion because they don't know how to do the thing they're trying to sure. do. Yeah, um, you're a resource. I'm a resource, right? And that's a valuable thing. But that's, that's a small percentage. The rest of these we learn and they're useful in all of life. Parliamentary procedure is a niche. But it's yeah. kind of a fun one. And and useful, especially in that in that focus. Um, yeah. Okay. Final question, Joel, or, or maybe final question, then I'll wrap up. Um, what? This is just a little more on the light light side of things. Sure. What is the strangest thing that has happened to you while you've been working from home? This can be for Gen J. This can be for you know uh, ministry for town, whatever. What, what's the strangest situation you found yourself in while working from home? Strangest situation, or funniest, or you know yeah. what, whatever you want to insert there. See, you know, it's kind of, okay, so <laughs> this is probably a little odd, um, at least, and I thought, I thought it was funny, but it, it, may, be, it may be just weird. Um, I do weird, too. Weird is uh, fine. Weird, weird is loud on this podcast. <laughs> great, great. So um, during the lockdown, one of the things we've done to keep our boys busy is we've had essentially a daily Lego challenge, and there's a bunch of people participating in this online. Oh, wow. And so it's like, build this thing, build that thing, et cetera. And we've paired that with um, a bunch of drawing activities and artwork stuff. And one of my kids, our, our, middle, our middle son, has become, uh, is trying to become an artist. And we're moving from the, I can no longer identify what the colors on the paper are, to I can identify it, but there's no way in, on earth that would ever actually work, right? Scale and proportion <laughs> and all that sort of thing. Sure. And so, so for impre- the most part, impressionistic. It's, he's he's an impressionistic artist. More Picasso, but yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it's like those arms are not the same length by a long shot. Um, but and and to be fair, they're boys, and I love Star Wars. So there's lots of Star Wars decor in there, and then we watch the Mandalorians. So there's a bunch of Mandalorians popping up, or at least bounty hunters. Oh my right? goodness! Absolutely. And we have ATAT walkers running around, and star fighters, and okay, battle well, cruisers, and stuff. Side note. Side note. Sure. I want you to finish your story, but but when we go live with this episode we need to get yeah. some of those some photos of that for the instagram for the Gen okay instagram. so i have i have right now down in the basement a picture of general grievous's malevolence which is his big capital ship oh which you goodness. have to watch like star wars clone wars the the cartoons to know which, it which which you certainly should epic. oh yeah and, it, and you totally should yeah, it's been great and we're kind of working our way through it recently in fact the new episodes when the new one comes out tonight and my boys okay. are dying to watch it I, when i'm done i working. have not started season seven so don't spoil oh. it Daniel, yeah. it's so good. You've got to watch it. Okay, it's, it's it's a little dark, but it's and it's really powerful and I I cannot kind of amazing wait. all the same time. I cannot it's, wait. If you like Ahsoka Tano, it's epic because it is it really she, becomes her story. Ahsoka's Ahsoka's um, she was one of my favorite best. side characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that being said, um, there the, the, we were working on on one of those, and he at this point he was working on. Um, he, he, he merged his fantasies together. And so he had, I believe it was Stormtroopers and Dragons, right? Okay. Because oh, dragons wow. are also cool. Um, and his, but his dragons had these like tiny little wings. So it's like taking a, a lizard and putting like pixie wings on it. Okay. So basically it's, it's, it's the Stormtrooper riding. Now this is going to show my Star Wars mm-hmm. nerdiness. It's a Stormtrooper riding a dewback. In on Tatooine in the desert, but with, with fairy some wings. Pics, with some fairy wings, right? Except that the the people were shooting amazing. at the, at the Dubak in this case. They oh, were fighting okay. each other, right? So pre um, pre Dubak taming, 
Yeah, something like that. Um, you got you got the name of it though. That's pretty good. Um, I had the toy. I had the toy as a kid. Awesome. We've got one too. So. Um, they started working on this and, and he came and showed it to me. My wife and I are like, this is brilliant and this is really cool. But I'm like, but there's one thing wrong with it. And he's like, what? He goes, the wings aren't big enough. He's looking at me and he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, okay, so dragons are huge, at least in, you know, in fantasy, right? That wing, that tiny, unless it's being held up by magic, is not going to make it fly. He's like, oh, how big do you make him? I'm like, okay, we got to figure out how do I, how do I explain him dragons? I'm like, oh wait, I know. So I went downstairs and I dug out the Lord of the Rings movies <laughs> and oh, the Hobbit and all of that. And I'm like, let me introduce you to Smaug. And oh, so we goodness. ended up watching the Hobbit and the boys were like, this is the most amazing thing ever. And I'm not telling him what the comparative of the movies are because they don't know. And that's okay. They haven't read sure, the book sure. yet, but we're starting. And so they were like, this is incredible. And suddenly his dragons got a lot better in scale and size. And then we're, but they're like, but what happened next? I'm like, well, let me get out the next set of movies. Let me do the Lord <laughs> of the Rings. And so for about 10 days, we kind of, and the nice thing is they're so big, you know, it takes multiple DVDs, right? Of course. And so we're like, they get like half a movie a night. Oh, and nice. so we stretched out The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings to be like a 10-day saga. Oh, that's and incredible. And then we were able to do stuff with Star Wars. We've done some Marvel stuff. And we've been able to have these movies. And it's just been fun to have these kind of family times together as we've gone through it. Yeah. And kind of hilarious what's led into what. Um, yeah. And, and the collision of it. That's, that's uh, a it pretty... It may not be hysterically funny, but it's been a lot of fun. Well, and it's a pretty valid, uh, valid and convenient reason to have to you know just be forced to go through all of the hobbit and lord of the ring movies to answer your kid's question you know oh, like yeah. that, that's i haven't watched you, them in 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 years and they held up a lot better than i thought they would oh and yeah they were fun those and things are legendary they're exciting and so we did that and it's been neat to see the boys kind of grab that and run with it and um it's also interesting at least for my oldest that he's uh, significantly more emotionally invested in the characters than I thought he would be. Because like oh, we've yeah. seen it a million times, right? And so we kind of have distance to it. Right. But when they're introduced to it for the very first time, all of a sudden, like, Aragorn falls off the cliff, you know, in the, in the yeah. two towers. And all of a sudden, they're like, no! And oh, yeah. I'm like, That's um, amazing. Um, okay, so calm down. Not everything that looks like it's lost is lost. Patience. And it's become That's my track incredible. phrase that not everything that looks like it's lost is actually lost, which then got really helpful when we got to Marvel, too, because um, yeah. we're kind of working through that, and there's there's adventures in there. And that's been fun. Um, the youngest that. child isn't quite there yet, and mainly the funny stuff with him is involving finding him above the doorway when he's climbed to the door trying to get outside. But, oh, wow. It's a different thing. Nice. So he, so you got you got you got um, some hobbits and a Spider Man in your house. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Costumes included. That's amazing. That includes Sting and, of course, the uh, the full Spider Man costume. Incredible. Well, Joel, that's that's actually I think an amazing place to wrap up. And I loved what you said. I love that quote that not everything is that looks lost is lost. And I think that's actually kind of. Uh, Applicable today, yeah? Yeah, applicable <laughs> to what we're facing today, you know? At least I so, hope it is. Yeah. So, wow. Well, thank you, Joel, for the time. I'll let you get on to the stuff you have to do next. But um, I think everyone's going to really appreciate this conversation, and I can't wait to share it with the Gen J community. Daniel, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to coming back. All right. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Hey friends, if you enjoyed today's episode of the Gen J Podcast, go ahead and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, most of the other major podcast sites and apps. Uh, if you really liked the show, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a review, uh, hopefully a good review to help other people find it. Uh, this is really helpful when we're starting out with a new show to help people connect with the podcasts who are already listening to similar podcasts. We would love to stay in touch with you, so shoot us an email at info at generationjoshua.org or follow us at Generation Joshua on Instagram and Facebook. We will be back soon with another episode.